0: Today, we begin a new sermon series that we're calling uh, Broken Good News for Tough Times. Good news for tough times. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the Romans and seeing what it might have to say to us about living in tough times. If you've ever read the book of Romans, you know that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. He had hoped to be able to visit that church, but it seemed like every time he got ready to go and visit them, something came up. Something prevented him from going. And and he wanted to go and visit the church in Rome because he believed that he could be a source of encouragement to them, and he believed that they could be a source of encouragement to him. And since he hadn't been able to go to Rome and the church there, he decided to write a letter. And he wanted to write the letter so that they would know something. And they wanted him to know, he wanted them to know that he understands that being a follower of Jesus is not easy. In fact, it can be quite perilous. In fact, it can be quite difficult He wanted them to know that he understood. Now, you think it's tough to be a Christian in 2023 here in America. Well, I can assure you that it was especially tough in Paul's day because to be a follower of Jesus in Paul's day was to be persecuted and perhaps even to be uh, killed. And so he wants them to know that in the midst of this broken world in which you are now trying to live out your faith in Jesus, that God is with you. God is in your midst. God can work in the midst of brokenness for restoration. Our passage of Scripture today is this passage of Scripture from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 12, or 11, and the the title of the sermon today is Broken Spirits, Broken Bodies. Broken Spirits, Broken Bodies. A couple of weeks ago, I talked to my friend Marshall. I may have mentioned Marshall to some of you before. I may have even mentioned Marshall in a sermon before. I, I don't ever go back and read those manuscripts. It's bad enough for me to listen to them once without reading them again years after the fact. But my friend Marshall is a guy that I went to seminary with, and one of the things that separated Marshall from most of the people that I went to seminary with is that Marshall realized early on that in responding to God's call upon his life, it wasn't just to be a United Methodist minister. That was a part of what he believed that God was calling him to do. And even to this day, Marshall still serves a little small Methodist church up in the North Georgia mountains as an ordained elder, being the the pastor in residence. But, But Marshall also understood his call more specifically to be around the ministry of counseling. And so one of the reasons why Marshall went to seminary, one of the reasons why he got a Master's of Divinity degree is not just so that he could be an ordained clergy person and serve a local church, but he also wanted to be able to speak theologically into the lives of the people that came to him in the midst of their brokenness looking for help, seeking out counseling. Now, Marshall would want me to tell you that as a counselor, he doesn't mention theology or God or faith unless the client mentions it first. He he meets people where they are, but he wanted to be able to, should they wonder where is God in the midst of my brokenness, that he would be able to speak with some sense of integrity and authenticity and authority into that situation. Now... Marshall counsels all sorts of people with all sorts of different issues, but many of the people that Marshall counsels are people who are coming with some sort of an addiction, who are considering or in the midst of recovery from their addiction. And so Marshall was one of those first people years ago that helped me to understand that the recovery community has a lot to say to Christianity. Now you might be saying, well, duh, Tommy, because the recovery community was, was begun out of Christianity and Christian principles and Christian ideals. And I would say, yes, you're probably right. There does seem to be evidence of that. But I would also say to you that it's been my experience that people in recovery oftentimes understand Christian principles and Christian values and God being at work in their lives in ways better than we who are not in recovery do. The people that come to church every single Sunday. And he's the one that helped me to understand that that recovery communities have a lot to say to the Christian church today. That they have a lot to say to us about how we should be in relationship with one another that they have a lot to say about faith, and that they have a lot to say about theology even. And I can't help but see as I read through Paul's letter to the Romans that the recovery community even has something to say to us about Paul's topics that he addresses in Romans, the topics of sin and grace. Now before I get too far down that road, I want to make an important point. You may be thinking that I'm uh, equating some sorts of addictions like alcohol and drugs with sin. And, and, I, and that may be uh, an eventuality to alcohol and drug addiction and things like that. But I want you to hear that I believe what the American Medical Association believes, in, that alcoholism, drug addiction, things like those addictions, that they are actually diseases. Now, they are diseases that can lead to sin. And in fact, my experience has been that that, uh, that disease left untreated will inevitably lead you to a place of sin. But I am not downplaying uh, those types of addictions as being first diseases. They absolutely are. But what I am suggesting is that there is a point of connection between addiction and between sin. Because whether you're in addiction or whether you're talking about sin, there's something that is happening. Uh, there are behaviors that we are participating in that are hurtful to ourselves. They actually begin to hurt our spirits first. And if we don't do anything about it, they will inevitably begin to hurt our bodies as well. And if you let the progression go on long enough, whether you're talking about addiction or whether you're talking about sin... Uh, these things that are hurtful to our bodies and hurtful to our spirits will inevitably begin to hurt our relationships as well. And, and so I think that if we, we're we talking about sin, we can use the principles and the language and the steps of recovery because I think it can help us as we who are worried about our sin can make sense of them through those things. Now, you may say, I, I didn't come to the Methodist church expecting to hear about sin. You know, a lot of people say that the Methodists don't know how to talk about sin anymore. Well, I grew up in a, in a denomination where that's all they knew how to talk about was sin. So forgive me if for just a few minutes today I want to focus on what Paul is talking about, sin and the need for grace. Grace. And, and I want to draw from the, the beautiful recovery community using their steps in the 12-step program to help us to understand how destructive sin can be in our lives and what we might do in order to move beyond being uh, destroyed by our sin. For those of you who are in the recovery community, you know that the very first step in the recovery community is that you came to the awareness that you were powerless over your addiction and that your lives had become a mess. Your lives had become completely unmanageable. Whether you're talking about addiction or whether you're talking about sin, the effect is the same. Uh, you realize that as Paul says you keep doing the things that you don't want to do and you don't do the things that you're supposed to do Uh, the patterns of behavior that you're participating in have been hurtful to your spirit hurtful to your body it's begun to hurt your relationships with other people and you have tried and tried and tried on your own and in your own strength to do something about it and you keep hitting up against a brick wall over and over and over again. And the very first step in the recovery community is to realize that you are powerless over those destructive behaviors and that your life is just an absolute mess. Step number two is where you came to believe that even though you are powerless, there is someone or something that is powerful. And that someone or something that is powerful can do what you in your own strength have been unable to do, and that's restore some sense of serenity, some sense of sanity to your life. And that leads into step number three. Step number three is after you have come to believe that there's a power greater than yourselves that can do what you and your powerlessness could not do, you make a decision to turn your lives and your will over to the care of this higher power, over to the care of God. And I want to suggest to you that those three steps are just as important for those of us who are thinking about our sin. Because every single one of us here battles with the problem of sin. Every single one of us here have patterns of behavior in our lives that that hurt us that hurt our spirits. And if we don't do anything uh, after it begins to hurt our spirits, it will inevitably begin to take its toll on our bodies as well. We know that people who have unresolved tension and stress in their lives, that that increases the risk that you might have heart problems and all sorts of other health conditions. This stuff not only hurts our spirits, it hurts our body. And then sin begins to affect our relationships with other people, too. And ultimately, sin uh, hurts our relationship with God. And, and the best chance that we have is to acknowledge that we are powerless in and of our own strength of dealing with the sin that is in our lives. Sin has made an absolute mess of us and it's made an absolute mess of the world and we need to acknowledge our powerlessness in the face of that sin. The second thing we need to do is to come to believe that in the midst of our powerlessness, there is one who is powerful enough to come into our lives, into where we are broken, and to bring about restoration, to bring about healing. There is one that can help restore sanity and serenity to our lives. We in the Christian community believe that that is the Holy Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What I love about the the, um, religion, the Recovery community, is their step says that we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves. You know, a lot of times in the Christian church today, the instant conversion gets all the glory. You know, we love to hear those stories about people that were just sinking deep with sin, far from the peaceful shore, and then all of a sudden, boom! And we were instantly converted into these magical, mystical Christian people. But for most of us, I guarantee you your conversion has been a process. It took you a while to come to believe that there was a power greater than yourself that could come into the midst of your broken life and in the midst of this broken world and do something that we were unable to do. We need to to realize that there is that power that has been made available to us. And then in keeping with the recovery community, step three, we need to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of this all-powerful one who can bring about restoration, who can create some sense of wholeness in the midst of our brokenness. I hope you can see how those three steps of recovery can help us in our life as Christian people. You know, there's theological language that uh, you might have heard used as we talk about these things. Uh, Prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. If you've been a Methodist for any length of time, you've probably heard those three phrases. Prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. Prevenient grace means that grace that's gone before, that grace that precedes, that grace that's been at work in our lives even before we had any sense that that grace was at work, even before we had any sense that we needed that kind of grace. It's that grace that is preparing us for something. It is drawing us ever closer to God to be in deeper relationship with God. One of the things that I've been amazed in my experience and conversations with people in recovery is that while they might have wished that they'd found recovery a lot sooner than they did, most people who are in recovery say, you know what, it took every bit of that junk that I had to go through during my lifetime in order to get me to where I am today. God used all of that stuff in order to move me to that place where I finally realized that I need help. That, my friends, is prevenient grace. That's God at work in stuff that you can't imagine God is working in, preparing you and wooing you and inviting you and enabling you to come closer to God. And, and to ultimately say yes to the God who has already said yes to you then there's that justifying grace it's that moment when we say yes to the God that said yes to us when we realize that we are powerless but that there is one who is powerful who can come into our lives and bring sanity and bring serenity and restore what is broken to some sense of wholeness. It's where we are made right with God. It's where we experience what God wants to do in our lives. It's where we respond to that and say yes to it. we come to believe in this power, and we make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of that good God. That is justifying grace. And then sanctifying grace is that grace where after we've been made right with God, we so desire to to grow in our understanding of who God is and who God calls us to be. And and that's where we, we grow in our Christian faith. We seek to become more holy as Christ is holy. We seek every day to try to live into the type of people that God desires for us to be, loving God, loving our neighbors. In the recovery community, that's what they do with their small groups, with their recovery groups. Uh, they, it's an opportunity for them to grow in love. It's an opportunity for them to support one another and encourage one another and to hold one another accountable and to love on each other and to, to pour grace into each other. They model that in such a beautiful way. You know, we are so afraid in the Christian church today to admit that we're a bunch of sinners. You can't even go to a recovery group without the first thing coming out of your mouth is, Hi, my name is Tommy, and I'm an addict. From the very beginning, you lay it all out there. You, you are completely vulnerable. You say, I'm doing things that are hurtful to me, that are hurtful to my spirit, they're hurtful to my body, they're hurtful to my relationships, and if I don't stop doing it the way I'm doing it, It's going to destroy me. That's exactly the way that you and I ought to be looking at sin. Sin destroys our spirits. It can destroy our bodies. It can destroy our relationships with other people. And it can destroy our relationship with God. And and we need to own that. We need to acknowledge that. We need to, to say we're powerless over it. But we also need to be reminded that there is one who is all-powerful. Paul talks about it by living according to the Spirit rather than living according to the flesh, living according to the ways of God rather than the ways of the world. It's acknowledging that left to ourselves, we cannot solve this problem. We need one more powerful than us to come into our lives, into our broken lives and in our broken world, and to begin to bring about restoration, and to begin to bring about freedom. And it's in that moment, it's in that moment where we begin to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God, and that's when God begins to do God's work. My hope and my prayer is that as we walk through this book, this letter of Romans that Paul wrote to the church at Rome where we're constantly reminded of our sin that Paul also offers us the solution to our sin. And the solution is to turn our lives and our will over to God and to allow God to come in to begin to do what only God can do. May God give us the grace to believe that and to live that out.